Hey y'all, it's Janice. Welcome to the Dirty Diversity Podcast. This is a place where we will be exploring equity, racism, and diversity. I am a DEI consultant, educator, writer, and professor who strives to center my work around the liberation of Black folks globally. More specifically, I examine and unpack how we can create structures that support the most marginalized folks in the workplace. This is a podcast where I will share my thoughts on all things diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, anti-racism, and Black liberation. My goal is to stimulate your mind and shift you to think in a way that you've never considered before. This podcast will feature my thoughts as well as the perspectives of different folks doing related work. If you want to learn more, pick up my best-selling books, Dirty Diversity and the Pink Elephant, where I explore workplace equity in more detail. Thank you for listening. Hey, y'all. Jay Nice on the mic. So this is episode two of season two. And um, I must say, I'm feeling just a tad bit under the weather, so I have to first apologize for that, but I still wanted to live up to my commitment of coming out with these weekly episodes. You know, I'm, I'm really committed to bringing content, so even though I'm feeling a little blah today and this, this uh, past weekend, I'm, I'm just pushing through for this episode. So... Just some housekeeping items before we go ahead and start this episode. The first is that I have currently two books out that I've published. One is called Dirty Diversity. The other is called The Pink Elephant. And links to both of these books are available in the show notes. And if the topics that you have heard on this podcast are of interest to you, Um, I go into detail in both of my books, but in The Pink Elephant a lot more. I go into detail into some of the concepts that we dive into for this podcast. So again, the books are called Dirty Diversity and The Pink Elephant. Links to both books are in the show notes. And if you have read either of these books, I would love to get your feedback. Please feel free to, or and I encourage you to leave a review for the books on Amazon. As an independent author, um, book reviews are really helpful in helping others, um, you know, find the books and with visibility for me as an independent author, so, or self-published author. So I just want to thank y'all in advance for that. Also feel free, if you enjoy this podcast, to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. I'm a huge um, Apple podcast listener. I know that Apple has a simple way to rate and review the podcast. So if you are listening on an Apple device, I encourage you to rate and review the podcast. And I want to thank you in advance for that. Also, on Tuesdays, for those of you who are on the uh, audio-based, voice-based app called Clubhouse, on Tuesdays, I host a... um, a discuss a weekly discussion Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern time. I host a um, discussion through my club called the Pink Elephant. So if you're on Clubhouse, search the Pink Elephant, join the club so you can be notified of when 
the weekly conversations take place. I have um, a co-host that I moderate conversations with who's actually going to be on the podcast uh, this month. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But I just wanted to say, if y'all are on the Clubhouse app, be sure to uh, join the weekly conversations. This month for February, we are having a four-part discussion on what it means to normalize blackness in the workplace. So we're having a really good discussion. Um, so if you want more information about that, I have a link to the event that is happening in the show notes. Um, so let's go ahead and begin. So this episode this episode is actually based on a article that I wrote uh, last month on myths about white supremacy. So I wanted to talk about these four myths about white supremacy that I hear propagated very often, which is part of the reason why I felt it was necessary to have this conversation because there are a lot of myths about white supremacy I keep hearing people saying, especially following the uh, acts of terror that we saw January 6th, where Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. And that opened up a, a larger conversation about white supremacy. We've already been talking about white supremacy as a country following the killing of George, the murder of George Floyd. And, um, you know, with uh, the Trump administration being in office, white supremacy has been a topic that we've been talking about a lot but um, I hear a lot of myths about white supremacy, so I, I felt like uh, it was necessary to write the article that I wrote. And if you want to check out the full article, a link to it is in the show notes. Um, but let's get into and dive into four myths about white supremacy that allow it to continue. So the first myth about white supremacy that I hear often is that it is intentional. So, I mean, yeah. I think that when we think of the words white supremacy, a lot of us think of white hood bearing, tiki torch holding people who are members of the KKK, who are very outspoken and direct with their white supremacy, and it's very intentional. But I think that conceptualizing white supremacy is something that is intentional and very sort of um, uh, methodical and planned, it, it really dismisses the white supremacy and the ways, rather, that we uphold white supremacy in our everyday life uh, that are unintentional. And, you know, I, I think that it's especially important to think about that in the context of the workplace. And as someone who studies the workplace and and aims and strives to dismantle the inequities that take place within our workplace, I know that there's so many insidious ways that we uphold white supremacy that are unintentional. One of which being, you know, like there are people who have been told by their bosses and by their, their managers to follow black people, black shoppers, and black customers. Um, because of this perception that black people are stealing, that black people are dangerous, that black people are deviant. So as an employee who's following the rules set forth by your manager, you may have never thought twice about 
following those rules and how problematic they are and how they contribute to white supremacy and this idea that black people are deviant and um, are, uh, you know, are stereotypical in all of these ways. So, you know, and that's a more like blatant example, but even something as simple as like a a appearance and grooming policy in the workplace and you know the policing of black hair and telling black people they have to wear their hair in a certain way that the white majority deems is professional is one of the sort of like insidious ways that unintentional ways that we uphold white supremacy even our standards of beauty and professionalism are seen through a white centric lens so um by by uh continuing a policy or having a policy that uh, that polices black hair and essentially says these hairstyles are acceptable for black people to have, but these are not. Um, are is just one way that we unintentionally uphold white supremacy. So, you know, one of the ways that we uphold white supremacy is this false belief that it is intentional and that you have to intentionally say to yourself, I want to uphold this system of white supremacy. Oftentimes, I would actually argue that more often than not, we uphold systems of white supremacy without even fully realizing it. So the second myth about white supremacy that allows it to continue, and this is a huge one. I think that all of these are important, but I think this is the this is the myth that I hear probably more often uh, than any other myth. Um, and the second is that White supremacy is only upheld by white people because, you know, we, we think that like, oh, it's only white people that are white supremacists. And I think we think this way because like when we think white supremacists, we think people who are part of the KKK. We think of like these blatant acts of white supremacy. Um, but black indigenous people of color uphold white supremacy every single day. Just because you identify as a person of color doesn't mean that you don't actively uphold these systems that disadvantage you. Um, and one example, one such example of that is this idea of white adjacency, where people align, people of color align themselves with whiteness and distance themselves from their ethnic and racial identity in order to gain access and opportunities. So an example of white adjacency would be if I am a, a person who identifies ethnically as Puerto Rican, but I look white and my coworkers thinking that I am white because I don't have a last name, for example, that is easily distinguishable as Puerto Rican, um, and I don't correct my coworkers who think I am white. And the reason for me doing that is because of the perceived benefits and access and opportunities that I will gain by aligning myself with whiteness. So white adjacency is just one of the ways that people of color uphold systems of white supremacy. Um, white adjacency is like, you know that... Uh, there are benefits that you will have by your proximity to whiteness. So, you know, the act of just aligning yourself from 
uh, aligning yourself with whiteness and distancing yourself away from your ethnic group, um, by doing that, you are feeding into a system that disadvantages um, different types of people. So, you know, I think that we need to get rid of this idea that it's only white people that are upholding systems of uh, white supremacy. We do this in our workplaces. Um, what's interesting is, you know, I spoke about these hair policies. Um, where black people are told in the workplace that they can't wear their hair in certain styles because they're unprofessional. What's interesting is it's not just white people who are telling black people you can't wear your hair in these specific styles. I've had experiences where older black folks will try to police the the hairstyles of younger black folks. And uh, they also propagate this idea that only certain black hairstyles are professional. And this is an insidious way that black folks, one of the insidious ways that we as black folks uphold and continue white supremacy. So I, you know, I think that we need to throw away this idea that it's only white people because by adopting this belief, we are not taking an honest look in the mirror at ways that we have contributed to and ways that we continue to contribute to systems of white supremacy. Um, you know, the fact that bleaching creams are so popular in Africa. Um, my parents are from, as y'all, some of y'all may know, my parents are from Cameroon, which is a country in West Africa, Western Central Africa next to Nigeria. And bleaching cream and bleaching is a is a thing there. In a, in a lot of African countries, bleaching is a thing. In the Caribbean, bleaching is a thing. Um, in many parts of the world, bleaching is a thing because of this idea that aligning ourselves with whiteness will give us perceived benefits. By a parent telling their child that uh, a parent telling their daughter, because this is something that we, women of color hear a lot, uh, a parent telling their daughter not to go play out in the sun is contributing to white supremacy because it goes along with this idea that um, a woman is only beautiful based on her proximity to whiteness. So a, a woman is only beautiful if she's a she's lighter skinned or if she has Eurocentric features or if she has a certain hair texture. And all of these things contribute to white supremacy. So thinking that and adopting the false belief that only white people can uphold white supremacy is one of the w reasons why white supremacy is able to continue. Another uh, myth about white supremacy is that it is not common. There is this false narrative that white supremacists and white supremacy is only certain people in a sect of the country or in a segment of the country, again, is those like people that are protesting the removal of Confederate monuments or who are, you know, who are doing these like outlandish, outlandish, excuse me, acts of racism. Um, but white supremacy is so common. White supremacy as, is as American as apple pie. We breathe white supremacy in this country. Like, white supremacy has sustained 
this country. So, you know, I think that this idea that it's not that common is what allows it to evade us. It's so common. White, you know, we have white supremacy being upheld in every faction of this country. You're within your HR department. Your policies uphold white supremacy. Within your doctor's office, your medical professionals uphold white supremacy. Within our police forces, our politicians, every every segment of our and every system within our country upholds white supremacy. Nice people can still be white supremacists. So it doesn't matter that you are a liberal, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about this in his letter from Birmingham jail, where he said it's the white moderates that really sort of um, you we have to keep an eye on. You know, and these are the people that toe the line, that think that they're moral and upstanding. And because of this belief, they often don't do the inner work that's necessary to recognize the ways that they, too, uphold systems of white supremacy. So I I think that we have to get rid of this thought that white supremacy is not common. White supremacy is so common And again, it's as American as apple pie. We breathe white supremacy in this country. And the sooner and faster we realize it, the quicker we will be able to start working toward dismantling it. And lastly, um, the fourth myth about the fourth and final myth about white supremacy that allows it to continue, um, you know, to that third point is this idea that white supremacy comes and goes with with leadership. It doesn't matter who's leading your company, who's leading our country. White supremacy didn't start and won't end with a particular president or leader. To quote my article, removing a president or an administration doesn't suddenly eliminate a country of its white supremacist structures and systems. Um, Another factoid from my article, despite the fact that the United States elected its first black president in 2008, research indicates that anti-black racism actually increased during President Obama's tenure. So believing that white supremacy comes and goes with leadership prevents you from seeing how deep white supremacy runs in our laws, policies, systems, and social mores that the collective adheres to. So I I think that we have to, again, like, if any of you follow me on Instagram, I've talked about this on my Instagram. If you don't follow me on Instagram, a link to my Instagram is in the show notes. But, um, you know, it was frustrating with Uh, the election of Joe Biden, how many people on my social media were like jumping for joy as if racism was somehow eradicated because we have new leadership. Yeah, I mean, Trump was like an, 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 (laughs) Trump was like an insidious plague of white supremacy um, that we could see on the surface. But white supremacy was there before Trump got in office. White supremacy has been in this country since before Trump was born. And white supremacy is still around. So I think that, like, we need to get rid of this idea that uh, there's going to be a leader that comes in and saves us. You know, there's no leadership that could come in and completely eradicate white supremacy because it's so entrenched in our systems. It's so part of our our. American fabric that it's it's going to take so much 
to sort of disentangle white supremacy from the fabric of our country. So we have to like get rid of this idea that with new leadership, especially with leadership that looks like us, that white supremacy is not going to be here anymore. Because as we know, all skin folk ain't kin folk. And someone can look like you and not have your best interests at heart and not have the collective's best interests at heart. And a lot of times people of color get into certain positions because they distance themselves from their racial and ethnic group and the interests of their racial and ethnic group. And because they align themselves with whiteness is often what propels people of color forward in the political sphere. So that's a whole nother conversation that I'm not going to get into. But um, the fourth and final myth about white supremacy that allows it to continue again is that uh, is this idea that it disappears with new leadership. White supremacy is going to be here regardless of who is in office. And we have to take an honest look at ourselves again, in ways that we propagate and perpetuate white supremacy in our everyday lives. I can be a nice person. Nice people can still be racist and can still be white supremacist. And by adopting the belief that this is not true and this is not actually reality is what um, allows white supremacy to continue. So thank y'all so much for checking out this episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast. I think that's where I'm going to end today's episode. Again, um, if y'all are on the Clubhouse app, I would love for you to tap in on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. Pacific. Um, And uh, all the resources that are mentioned in this episode are in the show notes. I hope y'all enjoy this episode. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast if you enjoy. And I will check y'all out in the next episode. Hopefully I'll be more energized and more energetic. I love y'all. Thank y'all so much for listening. And I will see y'all in the next episode.